John, go to the 12th chapter. This is Palm Sunday, um, and I imagine the different accounts of the triumphant entry um, of Jesus into Jerusalem, the, the texts in the different gospels are being used all around the world today. And I pray that in every situation where, where God is honored and his name is lifted up, that the word of God would be powerful today as, as it's preached all around the world. John 12, starting in verse 12, we're just going to read 12 to 19 as our text for today. Verse 12 says, the next day, a large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, they're you're able to gain nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Okay, the setting is it's Passover in Jerusalem. The city is exploding with guests and with visitors. Um, Jewish law commanded that adult males come to Jerusalem every year for Passover, and of course they would bring their families. So the city was bursting at its seams, and people were not only cramming and filling the city, but it spilled out, and they were setting up tents and campgrounds all around the city to be a part of this wonderful, glorious celebration as they remember back of their history when the death angel passed over the homes of those who had the blood of the lamb spread on the doorposts of their homes. It was, it, it, this moment was important. Um, so important, we find that it's mentioned in all four Gospels. That's not true of every account and every um, story in, in the Bible, but this account was, was a, an important moment in the life of Jesus and in our life as, as well as, as his church. It was a high point, certainly had to be a high point um, in, this, in this small little um, traveling ministry. You know, it's been three plus years. Jesus and his disciples have been roaming the countryside with the same message, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and they had gained a lot of attention. Um, when Jesus showed up at a place, his, his reputation sort of got out. And suddenly more and more crowds were gathering and many were seeking after him. And he started just following wherever his itinerary was. They would, they would show up in those places. And if you know the account, if you've read the account of the, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem is, is what it is, it's called in, in from some of the Bible interpreters. Um, you may see in your Bible above the section, it may say triumphant entr entrance. Um, on this day and in this account, I think it's safe to say the overarching theme of, of this event, and, and you get the feel of it, no matter which of the Gospels you read the account in, is that of praise. 
It's one of this, this instant praise that came up and was offered, was being offered to Jesus that makes this account unique. See, you know, it, it just wouldn't be the same if, if you turn to this account and it said, you know, one day Jesus borrowed a donkey to ride in Jerusalem, so he got on it and with his disciples he rode in. It just doesn't do the same thing, right? It's like if someone said, well, said about you. Well, you got up, you came to church, you sat in your seat, and then church began. Wow. You know, or if you're at home, you got up and you brushed your teeth and you got your coffee and you sat down at the table or on your couch and you turned on your device that you're watching the service on. But what if that story was you came to church and as you walked in the front door, everyone else was lined up and was just applauding and clapping and saying, hey, we're so glad you're here. And even more comical, I guess, for those at home, just think you, you came out of the kitchen on your way to the couch to turn on your, vi- your device and there's your family. Yay, mom. Yay, dad. It changes the story. It changes the, the power and the impact that it has on us, there's what makes this event an event. Perhaps what makes it an event, why it even made scripture, I'm not sure that without that unsolicited, impromptu celebration, I'm not sure it would have made scripture. If it did, we probably wouldn't have given it the attention that it gets, that suddenly just people hear Jesus is coming and they rush out of the city. And they, and they watch for him, and before he gets there, they're throwing their coats on the ground, and they're cutting branches off trees and laying them down. And as he passes by, as soon as they can see him, um, they, they start shouting. You know, not just saying one to one another. They start screaming out loud, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and we see this unfold just, just with, without any coordination or pre-planning, and it's, it's reflective, in that culture it was reflective of something that people would have been familiar with, because the custom was when a king would go out, and he would go out to conquer other lands and other places, and, and was victorious, after a long campaign when he would come back and ride into the city, now there was a whole lot more pomp and and, and uh, you know, all the nuances that come, come involved when a king passes by, but the people would line the streets and they would shout and they would give their honor and their praise and to the king as he processed. And, and here we see semblance of that. Here we see a reflection. These, these Jewish believers had to think in terms of this is a big moment. There's something important that's, that's happening here, even with they didn't really understand perhaps everything that was happening here. See, praise makes a difference. It really does. Praise makes a difference in life. It, it, it adds celebration. It adds enthusiasm. It adds excitement. There's some, you know, one of the reasons, you know, it, it seemed like as a nation there was this, this combined sigh when 2020 ended it was like Phew. because there was there was wasn't a lot in 2020 that we found reason to celebrate it was a year of challenge it was a year of stretching it was a year of confusion and insecurity and and questioning and all these things there wasn't didn't seem to be a lot to celebrate so we celebrated the fact that it was over <laughs> that, that that year ended see we, we 
Because without praise, life becomes tedious. Without praise, life becomes heavy. It becomes, it becomes um, trying in so many ways. We, we need to praise. There's something in our makeup. There's something in the way God created us where we need to have reason to praise. We need to have reasons to, to celebrate, to rejoice, to, to, to be excited, things to be excited and enthused about. Imagine life, right, without birthdays or anniversaries or holidays or promotions or graduations or successes that we could celebrate. Imagine just a life bereft of opportunity to, to praise and things to praise. You know, both business and, and mental health experts tell us that it's very important that we find opportunity to celebrate the wins. You know what that means in life. Now, whether big or small, it doesn't really matter, but, but to develop a lifestyle and a mentality that you're looking for wins in life, and when you find one, celebrate it. In some way, praise, if in some way it does something. It doesn't, matter of its, it doesn't matter if it's that huge raise or promotion or job that you hope to get, or, or if it's, you know, you're, you're taught to use the potty chair for the first time. It, it, celebrate it. Because there's something in us that needs to, pra- be, needs to praise. Praise is healthy for us. Praise is good for us. It's good for the one offering praise, and it's good for the one being praised, or the thing being celebrated. It's good for us. Now, not only do we need to praise, but there's another level. We need to praise God, right? We, we need to be people of praise in life. We need to find opportunity to celebrate the good, good things in life as they happen, but we also need to praise God even more. First of all, just because he's worthy. Just because he's God. He, there doesn't need to be really any other reason. God is God. He created you. He, he's the sovereign ruler of all things. The only true living God. That fact alone says he's worthy of praise. He deserves praise. He deserves your praise. He deserves my praise. Secondly, we're also, we're also as Christians, we're commanded to praise. It, it, it's in the word. We're, let everything that has breath. Anybody breathing right now? You're under command. Because even that breath, just that inhale and exhale should remind you of God's care in your life, his presence, his goodness, and that he gave you life. That he's the source and author of life. See, praise, we need to praise, and we need to praise God. It refocuses refocuses our mind. Sometimes our minds can get so much on the mundane, so much on the, the negative side of living, and, and praise has a way of bringing us back and, and refocusing on our minds on, and our thoughts on things that are praiseworthy, things that can build us and help us and, 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 and inspire us. Uh, praise makes us aware of God's presence in our life. It, part of that refocusing is praise reminds us that, that, you know, that life sometimes is hard, but I know God. There's a God who's above my circumstance. There's a God who's greater than my circumstance. Praise has a way of making us re- remember that, making us remember his, that he's a God of goodness. He's a God of kindness. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace, that he's, that he's always present. Praise is a protection over our lives. Praise comes along and, and can be used, prop- if used properly, can even be a, a weapon in our lives. 
against sin and against um, the enemy who tries to continually badger us and, and come against us. Praise can protect us. The Bible says put on a garment of praise when a spirit of heaviness tries to overtake you, tries to overwhelm you. I found something in life, and you've, hopefully you've learned the same thing. How does praise protect me? Well, you can't, you can't praise and sin at the same time. You can't praise and curse at the same time. You, you can't praise and gossip at the same time. You, 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 can't, you just can't do it. it. It's just not possible. You can't praise God and tell lies at the same time. So if praise is continually in our mouth, guess what? We'll live a better life. <laughs> we will live a better, we will, praise can protect us because it keeps us in God's direction. It keeps our hearts and minds focused on him. There's no substitute for the benefits of praising God. There's nothing else I can recommend to you that will bring the same benefit and reward as a life that continually praises God. But I'll tell you this, it's, it's like physical ec- exercise. Nobody can do it for you but you. You know? I, I, don't know, I, I have some exercise equipment in my home. I don't get healthy just because it's there. Praise is sort of like that. You know, wouldn't it be great if you could hire someone and say, go go run five miles for me, and you get the benefit. Praise only works if you praise. You can understand this message. You can agree with this message. You can take notes. It will do nothing in your life unless what? Unless you develop a life of praise, okay? So this is the last of our series called Pivot. I I trust you've enjoyed it and that it's helped you on some level. I'm entitling this message, Pivot Toward Praise. Pivot Toward Praise. And John brings us a unique perspective that that I think can help us today. I'm gonna divide our text in half. We're gonna look at verses 12 to 15 to, to make one point, I have just two points today, and 16 to 19 for the second thing I want to draw out of our text. So let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're a personal God. Thank you that you give us an abundance of reasons to live a life of praise. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, you're here in this moment. Hover over the word of God that you inspired men to write. Take that inspiration and breathe it back into our hearts. Change us by your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's, let's look at this account. Um, first of all, let's look at the characters that the scripture presents to us. And, and as I read this, I see there's four groups of people here. All right? There's the locals. It, it says that they, they knew about this grand miracle that Jesus had performed when he called Lazarus out of, out of the tomb. Okay, so there's the locals. Then there's the, then there's the visitors, the people who are in the city because it was Passover. All right, so, so there are the visitors, and they were, they were hearing about this unbelievable event. Then there was the Pharisees. Okay, there's always the Pharisees. There's always, have you noticed in life, there's always somebody over here going, <laughs> have you noticed? I, sometimes that's true, too often maybe. And then there's the disciples. Now, when I was looking at this, I, 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 saw, four, I saw four types of people or four groups of people that were here. And, and, and I'm just giving my own little categories. We find the community, the locals. There, there was, there's this community. Then there were the curious, the visitors who were you know, just, just there 
um, seeing what, what's going on. Then there was the critics, okay? And then there was the committed, the d- disciples. We, we see representative of the committed. And as you think about it, every public gathering, in, in the world, every public gathering has these four people there. If you think about it, if it's an athletic event, a social event, certainly a political event, anytime there's a gathering of people, you'll find, if you get to know and you observe, you'll find these four people are there. Even, unfortunately, even when the church gathers, there's, there's these four people. There's the community, those who are generally supportive, but probably somewhat limited in their, in their involvement and participation. There's the curious, who are the, more the fringe folks, the, the ones that um, maybe aren't really connected yet or aren't, aren't a full part of. That's the, maybe the new person who's just kind of checking it out and saying, is this a place worth, worth being a part of or, or, or coming back again? Then there's, then there's the critics. You know, there's always those who just have a better way of doing things. There, there, there's, you know, there's everyone else's way and then there's their way and their way is always the right way. So, so there's, there's those folks who are always you know, just grading and scoring and then there's the committed. These are the people who are all in. These are the people that make stuff happen. These are the people that you get to know their names and their faces because they're, they're about building. They're about advancing. They're about doing the work of the ministry. They're about understanding their part and giving that part so that the whole can work properly. They're about walking together in, in community. And, and so we see these four. Now, here's an interesting twist that we can take that beyond identification of people. And all we have to do is get a mirror and look at ourselves because every one of us at different times in different situations or scenarios, depending upon what's happening around us, have the potential to be one of these four in our attitude. Because these aren't just necessarily descriptions of people. These are also descriptions of the attitude of our heart. Where at any given time, we can be any one of these. And that becomes a very interesting scale by which to use just within ourselves and the Holy Spirit. And not looking externally at others trying to say, well, he's that or she's that. or I think that we can, all we have to do is look at ourselves and we can see that we may play these different roles at different times, which I'm not going to develop any further. You can draw your own conclusions and you can draw your own lessons out of what's really healthy, what's really good. But here's one thing that we find going back to our story. With the exceptions of the Pharisees, all the rest of the people, all of them that were there, all of them were praising God. All of them were offering praise to Jesus as he rode. All of them were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, so I I developed, for my two points, I developed uh, two phrases, and and I don't know if they'll make sense. I hope they'll make sense to you. The praise, the kind of praise that they offered was experiential praise. They're all praising, and they're offering experiential praise. Praise. The praise that they were offering was based on, on the extent of their knowledge and the experience or experiences that they had with Jesus. Their interactions with Jesus, their awareness of Jesus, it was all responsive, it was to their experience. Okay? Now that's not wrong. There's, there's nothing, on, on no level am I saying there's anything wrong with experiential praise. It's, it's real, it's valid, it's, it's sincere. Um, God, should, we should praise the Lord for every good thing in our life. 
For every time he, he shows himself strong, for every time we recognize that he's done something good in our life, for every time we've had some kind of a, a, a spiritual experience or advancement or awareness or, or learning, we should praise Jesus for it. When we experience him, part of that should be praising him. They had experienced Jesus as a teacher, as a healer, as a provider, as a, as a miracle worker, and their praise was real. It was experiential, but it was real. And, and I'm, for the most part, I'm going to assume it was sincere. It, it, it was coming out of a resource of their life because it's not natural for us to praise. We like being praised. We're not always the best at giving praise. Okay? So it was real. And, and many there, their experience wasn't hearsay, it was firsthand. The area that Jesus and his, and his disciples traveled wasn't huge. They weren't jumping on airplanes and trains and driving highways to get to places. They were walking. So they covered a very limited area of town or of, of, the, of the geography. And this was a time when all the people were places that they had visited were commanded were coming and gathering in Jerusalem. So there was a lot of folks there that I'm sure had firsthand experience. There were a lot of folks there who, who themselves heard with their own ears the teachings of Jesus. They were some of the ones who said, what is this? Where did he get this kind of authority? Where did any man get this kind of authority? He's teaching like something we've never heard before. He's not like the scribes and Pharisees. There's, there's something out of this man. Maybe some of them were on the hillside and they were able to be participants and partakers of the, of the first, uh, well, all-you-could-eat banquet when Jesus sat them down and, and said, here, bread and fish, all you want. Maybe they were part of that crowd. Maybe some of them were in the cities where it says Jesus entered the city and healed them all. Maybe some of them were part of the all. Maybe some of them were there watching this procession happen and adding their voice because they were blind. And sometime earlier, they wouldn't have been able to be there. Or if they were there, they wouldn't have been able to see anything going on. Maybe some of them had been deaf and now they had hearing. Maybe some of them had been lame and now they're standing there walking and rejoicing and celebrating along with everyone else. You know, I have to wonder that with this gathering was... was the, the widow of Nain and her son that Jesus raised from the dead, were they over on the sidelines adding their praise? Was Jairus and his daughter, were they there adding their praise? See, these people experienced something from Jesus. They, they had an experience with him, and that experience brought them to a place of, of praise, and it was a right place. It was a good place. I, I want to take a minute now, just do a quick inventory of your own life. Think of those instances and those times where, where Jesus showed up in your life, where he rode into your life and he rode into your circumstance. Think of those times where, he, where you've experienced him in a significant way, in a, in a real way. What are those experiences and have you offered him the praise that he deserves for it? Those times where he provided something, where he protected you from something, where he healed you of something. 
those times when his presence showed up in your, in your time of meditation and worship, and you know that this is a different day. This isn't just my routine. There's, that the glory of God is here, or this, that his word came alive and spoke right into your spirit. Those times where you experience Jesus, those times that, that um, you, you just know, you know that you know that this is not me. This is the living Christ who is ministering and showing himself to me. How about recalling and remembering your salvation experience when you came to an awareness of your sin and your need for forgiveness, when you came aware of the fact that there is a, there is a forgiver who has taken responsibility for your sin and sacrificed himself because of your sin and offers you redemption, offers you salvation, that born-again moment in your life. You became a new creation. Old things passed away and all things became new. I just wonder, what about those moments, those experiences you have? There's all, did you celebrate them? And do you continue to celebrate them every time they come to your mind that a praise should come out of your heart? Every time you think or recall them, it, it should also just spark something inside of you that, that wants to just say, Bless are you, O oh God. I wonder how many, if, even if there's anyone here today, that, that would be in, in, have, and have the heart of, like David. Remember when he said, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He had nothing but praise to offer when he thought about God's involvement in his life. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Everything that's in me, praise his name. Everything that is in me, give him glory. Everything that's in me, give him, give him honor. That's what people of God, we should live that way as, because we've experienced the living Christ's. I praise him, I praise him because he's forgiven all of my sin, because he's healed all of my diseases, because he's redeemed my life from destruction. Do you know the only reason you're sitting here today because he has redeemed your life from destruction? There's a real enemy who if he had his way, you would not be here. Your life would be destroyed, but there's a God in heaven. There's a Christ who loves you, who protects you every day. Sad. He, he, he crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But yet, he crowns, that means he covers us with his love, his kindness, his goodness, with himself. He satisfies my years with good things. He renews my youth like an eagle. Is there anyone here who can offer a praise today? Is there anybody who's part of that crowd? I'm, I'm looking for a response here, by the way. Here and at home, I'm looking for a response. It's okay to make noise in church. It's okay to respond in church. It's okay to use your voice, use your hands, stamp your feet. He is worthy of praise, and we need to praise him. Hallelujah. Experiential praise. Just think of the reality, that reality that we, as we know who we are and that we can experience the living Christ. It's an amazing thing. And if that doesn't just bring a praise out of your mouth, then you need to think again. That was one of my mom's favorite things. If you think this, you better think again. Experiential praise. Let, let's go a little further. As we continue in, in verses 16 to 19, John shows us why his book is not considered one of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke are considered synoptic gospels because they have similarities. They, and they summarize Jesus' ministry on earth. John went a whole different route. 
John, John doesn't have many of the things that are in the other three Gospels, but he also has some things that aren't in the other three Gospels. The synoptics give us um, stories and signs and sayings of Jesus where John focuses very, very narrowly on, on just the divinity, the sovereignty, the majesty, the identity of Jesus. And as you read his gospel, you get a whole different feel and perspective, which is, which is just glorious. That's why a lot of times when, when you counsel new believers and they, they're going to want to get started in reading the word of God, you, you direct them to start in the gospel of John. Because you need to just get to know Jesus. Before you know all the history and, and all the other stuff, read, read John. B- because you'll get a picture. You'll get a picture of, of this Christ who has saved you. And I'm going to just key on verse 16. It says, the disciples didn't understand these things. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had been done to him. Th- there's a, another insight here about praise I, I hope I can bring out. Um, and, and John is the only one who gives us this insight. None of the other gospel writers give us this information. First, I love John's, I love his report. The, the disciples didn't understand. And when I read it, I read it almost like comically. Maybe because I'm reading it like maybe if I wrote it. Because it's like he's saying, the disciple, here's this whole event unfolding, this but the disciples didn't understand. Like he's removed from it, right? Like he's saying the disciple. John was a disciple. You know, I mean, if he wanted to be transparent, he should have said, I didn't understand. I didn't have a clue what was going on. And every one of us can say that at different moments in our life. Where God was doing something and we didn't know it. We look back later and said, oh my. You know, like Jacob, God's in this place, I know it. We've all had it, but, but John, you know, he, he wants to make it, he doesn't, you know, misery loves company. So he, want, he makes it a, a group event. The disciples didn't understand, even though he was a disciple as well. We, we know that, so he, he really can't pull the wool over our eyes. But, but John's telling us something important. He's telling us that experiential praise is valid. It's right, it's good, but by itself, it can excite us, but it can't transform us. Experiential praise doesn't really transform our lives. If you follow this story, those who are offering praise, those who are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were excited and they were sincere in the moment, but they weren't transformed. They weren't changed. Nothing was really altered in their life. We know and wouldn't expect much of the critics. They went from that place and they orchestrated the arrest and execution of Jesus. We know that. But take the rest of the people who were there. Put the the critics out, the Pharisees off to the side. Take the rest of the people who were there. None of them were changed. Even though they were offering this wonderful praise, sincere praise, none of their lives were changed. The community and the curious, the locals and the visitors, the general public there would soon be, instead of shouting, Hosanna, they were going to shout, crucify him. In just a couple short days. And even the committed, even his disciples, his closest friends and followers, we know that they were going to scatter. They were going to deny him. 
They're going to go hide in, in cracks and crevices because of what is taking place. It would be so overwhelming to them. See, an, a life built exclusively on experiential praise, it's valid, but it's vulnerable. Right? It's valid, but it's vulnerable. They, they didn't understand. Now, I'm not diminishing the experiences that we have or the power and the impact and the importance that they have in our lives. We need to feel our faith. We need to. We, we need to have those experiences. We need to, and we need to celebrate the things that Jesus does for us along the way. So I'm not, I'm not dismissing experiences in, in any way. I'm not trying to degrade them in any way. I, I want to continue to experience the presence of Christ in my life. I want to see miracles. I want to see and experience answered prayer. I want to know his compassion and his grace and his mercy. I want to know his care and his comfort and, and all the things that he provides and protects from. And I want to know, I want to experience him on a continually basis. But, there's always a but, right? But, what happens to our praise if our experience isn't praiseworthy, doesn't automatically solicit praise. What happens if the doctor's report doesn't come back different than what it was? Where's, what happens to our praise? What happens to us as people who praise God? What happens if the wife or the husband still wants the divorce? What happens if that person still walks out of my life? What happens if you still experience that rejection or that betrayal or that tremendous disappointment or something you really counted on doesn't, doesn't happen? What, what happens then to your life of praise? See, experiential praise is wonderful, but largely it's a response to having where the Lord has met some felt need in our life. And he's responded to that. But what happens when our praise feels like the need wasn't met? That's a different moment in life. That's a, that's a different moment. We have to make a decision of what we're going to do, how we're going to handle it. None of them were changed. Even his disciples were ready to give up and go home. Even though they were, if anyone had reason to offer him praise on that day of celebration, it was certainly was them, and I'm sure they were they were leading and shouting as loud as anyone else was there. But when our praise is rooted only in experience, what happens if the experience doesn't, maybe, what happens if the experience almost does the opposite of those other experiences that cause us to praise? It says they didn't understand. They didn't understand the fullness of the moment that they were in. They didn't understand what was really taking place around them. They, they were taking in the experience of it, but they didn't understand there was more to it. Even though Jesus had been, for the disciples, Jesus had been telling them numerous times, quite obviously, what was about to happen, what was going to happen. See, there was things happening they weren't aware of. And John's telling us that there was a kind of praise that they didn't know about yet. There was a kind of praise that people of God can offer, they just didn't know about it yet because they didn't understand. See, they didn't understand the true import of Lazarus. It was a great miracle. It's a phenomenal miracle. 
The, the experience, imagine being there, the ones who are actually witnessed it, eyewitnesses. It was unbelievable. You see a, a man who's been dead for four days comes wrapped in linen and, and grave clothes hopping out of a tomb at the command of Jesus. That's hard to beat. But they didn't understand that in that moment, Jesus was doing more than bringing a dead body to life. They didn't understand that Jesus was giving a foreshadowing, a foretelling of what was going to happen to him. They didn't understand that Jesus was saying, just as I have the power to call Lazarus out of the tomb, I have the power within myself, and in a short time, I'm going to walk out of a tomb. They didn't understand that. So they offered great praise because of what they did experience, but they didn't know there was more to it. They didn't understand that the real reason this whole thing was taking place. They didn't understand the real reason Jesus was even going to Jerusalem. They didn't understand it. They, they thought, hey, this is, this is good because they, they tried to discourage Jesus. There was people out after him. He was a wanted man in some areas of, of the community and, and they encouraged him, don't go in. He said, no, we're going. And so they see all that's happening and think, hey, this may turn out okay. The, the, the people are in our favor. This, this may be okay. And they, or they think that he's riding in Jerusalem and this is going to be the time. This is gonna, he's going to show himself as the true Messiah with the understanding of Messiah that he's going to bring us you know, political freedom. He, he's going he's to put things in place so that we can break free of the chains of, of Rome from around our necks. They didn't understand. It says they didn't understand until after. Something, something had to happen in order for them to gain this understanding, in order for them to learn about this other kind of praise. It says that they didn't understand until after Jesus was glorified. They couldn't understand it until after he had been arrested and tried, found guilty, and mocked, and beaten, and flogged. A crown of thorns. He didn't understand until after he was glorified. After he took that march down the Via Della Rosa, carrying the weight of his own cross and stumbling along the way. He didn't understand until they got to Golgotha and, and the spikes in his hands and, and feet were driven in and he was posted up on the tree for all to see, humiliated, tortured, bloodied. They didn't understand until he was sealed in a borrowed, guarded tomb. They didn't understand until the, the other side of the grave. They didn't understand that while he was buried, he, he descended into hell and set captivity free. They, they didn't understand until after he walked out of the tomb and into the room that they were gathered in. They didn't understand until after he was glorified. Listen, there's nothing about their experience prior to that that would solicit this kind of praise that we're talking about. But after he was glorified, their praise went to another level. Their praise changed. The praise that they'd had in their hearts now to offer to Christ was dramatically shifted and changed. This was a different kind of praise because it was a different kind of Jesus. One that they didn't understand just a couple days earlier. This was a different kind of Jesus. This wasn't just a, a people-loving, truth-telling, miracle-working Jesus. 
This was a different Jesus. This was a death-destroying, hell-defying, devil-defeating, grave-emptying, walk-out-of-the-tomb Jesus. They didn't know about him. They didn't understand that. Jesus solicits a different kind of praise from our lives because he's been glorified. And it changes things. This is a resurrection praise. We have a resurrection praise to offer to the Lord. It's a praise that doesn't really matter what our experience is. It's a praise that doesn't matter what circumstances are happening around us. It doesn't matter if the sun is shining or the storm clouds have rolled in. It doesn't matter if we got the job or we got fired. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if, if we're experiencing wonderful things in life or the worst tragedy of our life. It doesn't matter. This kind of praise doesn't need spiritual goosebumps in order for it to put its hands up or say, God, I praise you. It's a different kind of praise that just automatically opens its mouth, raises a hand, stamps a foot, gives a shout. This resurrection kind of praise. It's a living praise to a living Savior. It's a living praise to the one who rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. It's a praise that doesn't come from what he has done for me, but it's a praise that comes out of because we already know what he's done for us. Because we see him glorified. We see him risen. It's a praise that comes out of a heart that says, I know once I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, now I'm alive. I had no hope, now I have hope. I had no future, now I have a future. It's a different kind of praise, this resurrection praise. It's a praise that says, your praise will continue to be on on my mouth. And listen, as long as Jesus is alive, you have a reason to praise. As long as Jesus is alive, your mouth should be open. Come on. As long as Jesus is alive, we should be praising him. We should be glorifying him. Resurrection praise. It's like the praise of the apostles. Remember, they were called aside. The leaders of the city said, don't preach about Jesus anymore. And they kept preaching, so they were arrested. And they found themselves before the council, and they were being threatened of imprisonment or worse. And their response, this would not have been their response prior to seeing Jesus glorified. Their response was, what's better? You expect me to obey man or God? That's a resurrection praise. It's the praise of Paul and Silas, arrested, beaten, thrown in prison, probably looking towards execution. And it says at midnight, they're offering praise to God. That's not experiential praise because the experience says, don't praise there's no reason in this place to praise. But there's, they, they were on the other side of seeing Jesus glorified. They knew the living Savior, the risen Savior. And what could they do? God, we praise you. God, we praise you. Doesn't, doesn't matter what this, you know, we can go back to the three Hebrew boys going into a fiery furnace. I love their response. You know, God can save us from this, but if he doesn't, it's okay. Either way, I win. Paul says it this way, live is Christ, die is gain. I can't lose. See, that's, that's a resurrection praise. That's a praise that knows the glorification of Jesus. That's a praise that sees him high and lifted up. That's a praise that sees him um, exalted and ascended back to the Father. That's a praise that see, sees him 
crowned and and robed and, and seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. That's a praise that comes out of our our soul and out of our spirit. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. In fact, sometimes I find in my life, sometimes I praise more when things are against me than going for me. It's a different kind of praise. It's a praise that can come out of us even in the face of a pandemic. You know, the voice of 2020 that was missing across the land was the voice of the church rising up and praising God out loud in the face of a pandemic, in the face of social and political turmoil. That's where the church needs to shine because we're the only ones who have a reason to praise. No one else does, no, which means no one else will, but we have a constant reason to give praise because Christ has been glorified and we know it. Lilia, bring the team up. I, I, need, I'm, I did it again, I think. I, I don't think it's new information for anyone to say that life can be challenging at times. That, that life has its own set of circumstances that we seem to face and walk through. But through them all, in our personal walk, in our corporate walk, as in the church, in the community, in our jobs, at school, in our relationships. We need to be a people of praise. We need to be a people who do experience and recognize God's goodness and kindness and celebrate it out loud. People around you, even if they're unsaved, they still need to hear about God's goodness in your life. They need to hear about God's kindness and in your life, they need those stories. They need those testimonies because they want them. And they'll never know it's possible if nobody credible or real in their life says anything. And we need to be a people who know resurrection praise that comes out of our minds. See, experiential praise is an expression of God's goodness. Resurrection praise is evidence that our lives have been transformed. When you can praise in a dark prison waiting for death, something's happened inside of you. Something's taken place inside of you. So let's be, let's take advantage of of this season. This begins Holy Week. let's, Let's make a concerted and intentional plan in this unfolding week, to in even an increasing way, be a people of praise. I, I'd encourage you to do this. We've got you know six days between now and when we meet again on Resurrection Sunday. There's four gospels. Take one each day and and read the account from at least from Gethsemane forward to his arrest and trial and crucifixion and resurrection. Revive inside your spirit. Feed your spirit this week through the word of God, that event. Imagine what the sights and the sounds were like. Imagine what Jesus did and personalized it. He did it for you. Read one day, read Acts. 
one and two, chapters one and two. Read them. I would read them after the gospel accounts. And this isn't a, a, a commercial, but I guess it could sound that way, but collect yourself or collect yourself and your family or maybe even some other believing friends. Do, do the crosswalk. Schedule a time on your calendar this week to, to come to the property and do the crosswalk, that, that meditative, contemplative journey. And do it by faith, not just as an exercise, or, but by faith. And ask the Holy Spirit to touch you in those moments. Let's be a people of praise. And as we think of our future ahead, let's, let's be ever-increasing. Ever-increasing. That, that praise should be our constant diet. It should be a constant expression and evidence that flows out of us. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing a song just to capsule and bring all this together. Why don't you stand? If you're at home and you want to stand, stand too. We're going to celebrate. Is it okay to celebrate a little bit? Is it okay if we praise God a little bit? Is it okay if we lift up his name a little bit? Is that all right? You're willing to maybe put your hands together or sway a little bit or do whatever you do? It's, it's, It's okay. Um, This is a wonderful time of year, and we need to praise our way through it. Bless God.